Welcome to Composer Quest. I'm Charlie McCarran. I'm a composer here in Minneapolis, and I started this podcast to pick the brains of songwriters and composers. You can find out more about these artists and listen to all the episodes at composerquest.com. In this episode, I talk with my cousin, Nathan Graves. Nate makes some music that can be very challenging as a listener. It's heavy, dark, and dissonant, but somehow I find it catchy in a weird way. Nate and I talk about his approach to songwriting. To be totally honest, the main thing we think is like, oh, this would be kind of annoying. And we (laughs) like that. (laughs) I think if it never becomes catchy, even how many times you listen to it, then really you're not accomplishing anything. But I think you have to ride that edge of it being like just on the edge of not being very enjoyable. (laughs) Nate and I also try and figure out why avant-garde art is actually important. And I reveal the worst composition I ever made. There's a place for the red dot on the canvas. Like that needs to be there. Like you need to set the edges of what it is and then like keep pushing that further and have people have to decide whether they think it's art. Nate describes why he prefers to come up with a complete lyrical idea before he even starts writing melodies. In one of our songs, I have a word productions, which is like one of the least musical words to have to say. If I hadn't had that word already written down as like, that's what I meant to say productions, then I would have come up with a word that was less accurate to my point. We also talk about why weird time signatures can be so effective in creating a mood. Adding that extra note gives it the sense of like hopelessness to me of just like back to you're back to nothing. We also get into a talk about where music is going in the future. Trying to sell people music at this point is almost like we're right on the edge where that just doesn't make sense. I'm more interested in thinking about like what really is music becoming in our culture? What does it mean to us now? And how do we ingest it? And I think we ingest it in shorter bursts on the internet. And of course, we'll get to hear some of Nate's original music. He does a solo project called Kurtz, and he also sings in the band with a gun for a face, which includes his brother, Matt Graves, on guitar, Brandon or B-Man Dvorak on bass, and Jake Anderson on drums. So it's a little longer talk than normal, but I think Nate and I got into some pretty interesting stuff that gets at the core of music making. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Nate, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Charlie? Good. So Nate has been making music on his own and with the band with a gun for her face. How did that all get started? Well, um... I actually had an old keyboard that I kind of stole from my little brothers (laughs) when I moved uh, with my older brother in South St. Paul. Matt and I used to do, so we used to do uh, the grass party. I don't know if you ever heard those. They were almost like... Those like kind of 80s sounding? Yeah, they were like, some that were 80s. They were kind of mixed genres, just like goofy one minute songs that we used to record when I was in high school. He he made the music and then I would just write up lyrics and do vocals for it. Huh. Yeah, you're going to have to I, I have some, some tracks. I brought my computer in okay, case you good. need tracks. I think I have those. Okay, good. Grass party. Huh. Didn't know that existed. <laughs> yeah. It, it's all, it's almost like there's almost a weird owl quality to it in like that it's kind of annoying or just because every song <laughs> is kind of a different genre. 
my roommate B-Man and I started uh, just jamming on keyboards. He had a keyboard too, so we would write some stupid songs. And then we started jamming with Matt later on. A couple of the songs we liked enough to turn into real songs and, you know, write actual guitar parts and stuff. B-Man actually started playing keyboards too, so it was two keyboards and the guitar and drums. Hmm. And then that didn't really make sense. So he had, <laughs> and he played the guitar, but he had never played bass before. So then he jumped on the bass. One thing I I really find interesting about you guys is, since I started going to your shows and seeing you live, mm-hmm. your music with with a gun for her face is really experimental and dissonant. And you've got weird time signatures going. Yeah. But somehow it seems to still appeal to people in the audience. Yeah. I think we we used to have a lot harder time with that. Our first CD, you know, there were some weird time signatures, but for the most part, it would switch, you know, it would switch to sevens for like a little bit. But for the most part, people didn't even notice. And so that was a little easier. I feel like with our second CD, that material, some of it was a little disorienting or almost like too too much going on yeah well i do remember a distinct shift after your first album good night ladies came yeah. out and you started playing the new ones from corporate colosum yeah um but yeah i remember thinking the first time i heard you live at for those songs was like wow where are they going they're yeah. just going crazier well no but, and even listening to recordings of like the first couple times we played those they're pretty hard to like wrap your head around them and we at were first, playing them super fast too. At, we used to, but at first though, I I uh, listening to it again and again though, like those songs stick out. They have such weird rhythmic hooks, but yeah. somehow it's hard to hear the hook. You have to listen to it a few times to hear mm-hmm. the hook. It's hard not to just hear like the disorienting part of it first. When I think of your music, I think of a quote by Charles Ives, this old composer. Hmm who did a lot of dissonant stuff, like taking two bands, one at one end of the city and one at the other, marching bands, and they march towards the center, and they're playing two different things. and Right, so they got to stick with what they're doing yeah. as it gets chaotic. Yeah, but he, he had some quote, like when people were reacting poorly to his uh, dissonant music, mm-hmm. he, he told people, Sit down and take your dissonance like a man. (laughs) Well, how much do you think of your audience when you're writing these songs? You know, to be totally honest, the main thing we think is like, like, oh, this would be kind of annoying. (laughs) <laughs> and we like that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this will be annoying for someone to have to listen to Matt go for like two minutes. Or like, let's drag this part out twice as long and then not play the catchy part for as long. Just to like, that'll be great. Huh. No, I think there's, I, I think it can get excessive for its own sake. I think if it stops being catchy or if it never becomes catchy even how many times you listen to it then really you're not accomplishing anything you're just i mean it's the same as if i just went like you know it's like what is that supposed to mean it's just like artistic beyond like 
enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to ride that edge of it being like mm-hmm. just on the edge of not being very enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. But then still, you know, pulling it back enough that like you know what's going on and there's a structure to it still mm-hmm. and like a way you can think about it. Well, yeah, and in your music, it seems like the dissonance comes from the instruments and more so your voice, even though it's got some weird melodies and Mm -hmm. you're screaming a lot of the time, but there's still like really catchy hooks in there too. Yeah, the vocal part, I feel like as a band too, like the main thing, if I come up with a vocal part, it'll be like, well, that part's just not very catchy. And we don't really think about that with the other instruments. But with the vocals, it's like, well, if the vocal part isn't very interesting or catchy, you can't really get away with that. I don't think, you know, you can have like a drum part that's kind of weird and crazy and a little bit like hard to follow. But if the vocals don't carry, it's just like, it might as well not even be there. I actually am not a huge fan of just like straight screaming. Sometimes I'll do it just for like, you know, if we're doing a really staccato, like, Mm -hmm. but I feel like if there's not a, texture to it that gives it like melody or tone it's pretty much just like mm-hmm. it's like that's what the drums are doing mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? the vocals need to have some kind of tone yeah screaming that's just not something i can do with my voice but maybe yeah. i i mean you, you just have to do it a lot it sing. takes a long time because you're even if i like we don't play a show for a while it's a little tougher your vocal cords have to turn into like yeah. calluses kind of so that you can do that for a long time yeah. and then it's like you don't even notice it well, I think there's a guy in Uptown who must be in a band that screams because he just like bikes by our house just screaming with headphones on. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> uh, <what>? no. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's like the more you scream, the easier it is to do, you know. Huh. I feel like sometimes in our first CD when I listen to it now, I almost like in a way how it's a little, it's pitchy in a way. It's a little like out of control. The vocals kind of like float on a note. They're not very hard on it. And now I feel like there's a little bit less of that. It's a little bit more like straight, you know, like the, there'll be the note is kind of in there and there'll be like a scream, but it's not like a wavering sound as much, which in a way is a shame that I can't do that. I feel like everything sounded more vulnerable or something. And in a way, I guess more believable because it was like, oh, I couldn't even really sing what I was doing, but I could, I could hang on those notes well enough that you can know what I meant. But it's dark. But now it's like that's less of the point. <laughs> the vulnerable thing is less of the point. It's more like more of the voice of the autocrat as opposed to the, you know, <laughs> the vulnerable person living in this mm-hmm. world of just like confusion. What's your method for writing songs? Um, I don't believe in, I know a lot of people say they do this and, you know, teach their own, whatever works. But personally, I don't believe in. You know, oh, when I sing it, I'll I'll sing along to you know, and I'll try to think of uh, syllables and sounds, you know, homonyms and things. You know, and I went ba beside a ba. Oh, so that sounds like ba. So I need to have a word that sounds like ba. I think that's you're you're bringing yourself into a place where what you're trying to say is less important than the sounds of the words you're using. I think you need to. I, I personally need to write all my lyrics down and know what I'm saying. And then when I bring it into the song, if I need to change a word, 
I'm changing it to another word that's, you know, a synonym or has the same meaning I was going for, the meaning is still the important thing. I'm j I can change the words around. I can cut words, cut syllables, do whatever I need to do to make it work in the song. But you're not being I'm not a slave the to the music. I'm not being a slave to the music. And I think, that, I think that what you think makes the most sense isn't always what makes the most sense. You think, you know, this is going to be best if it's just like two syllables and it's easy. But then if you have to, if you have a word that's, you know, like in one of our songs uh, on Corporate Colossum, I have a word productions, which is like one of the least musical words to have to say. But I think if I, if I hadn't had that word already written down as like, that's what I meant to say productions then i would have come up with a word that was probably one syllable and just like went under the radar and was less accurate to my point hmm i like that idea of working that way i've never done it <laughs> actually but maybe i'll try that i mean i think people do it to different degrees you know you'll kind of have a few words or a few ideas you've been thinking about and then you'll kind of put in filler words around it I just usually take it more to the extreme where I write like out a whole thing of like this is what I'm kind of trying to say. Mm -hmm. Is there any song in particular you'd want to talk about? Um. Well, boy, let's see here. Uh, I think the living is actually one the of living. Them. Okay, the idea of that song I always had lyrically. I mean, the lyrics for me are probably like the most important thing to me. That's like the main. That's what I start with. For the verses, it's kind of describing the situation where these characters are being kind of led to the slaughter. They're guilty, but they're also scapegoats. So in the first verse, it's, you know, we are manifest, sacrificial men, brought in on a skewer, helpless and obscure. And then in the second verse, you get more of a sense of like, uh, it says, but we are not innocent, heart sick with intent. So it's kind of giving the idea that, well, maybe they didn't do the thing that they're being, you know, crucified for metaphorically, but that they're maybe guilty anyway of some other thing. Um, and then uh, the chorus part is kind of switches to the perspective of the people using them as the scapegoat saying, you know, abandon moral thought kill a man a pig or a god you know it's it just turns into this thing of just like oh like something needs to be killed we need to kill something In the end, it kind of, which I do a lot, the bridge usually becomes the more like uh, the more objective part of it. It kind of jumps out of those two speakers and it, it takes a wider view of the situation and becomes uh, broken teeth, the deaf and the blind is what I say over and over again, which is kind of just like, oh, that's describing this situation. No one really has the teeth. No one really has the power. Everyone's just kind of bumping into each other. You know, they're, they're both the same side of the same coin. These people, they're all guilty, but one of them is killing the other one, and that's pretty much all that's happening. You know, you got to do something. Not much to do on the weekends. Somebody's got to die. <laughs> it's kind of an idea. 
And then in the end, it's just the reflective part of snow falls on the dead and the living, that they're all just damned, I guess is the thing. So where does this dark side to your art come from? I don't know. It must be genetic. It's just one of those things. It's just that's how I've always, everything has always had, I always take it with a humorous, <laughs> a humorous bent. Like I always think that stuff is like in a way funny just because, you know, the absurd or whatever, there's a comic element to it. But I I don't know. I've always, I've always been kind of a doom and gloom kind of guy just in terms of a, that was a good thing to happen after I said doom and gloom kind of guy. <laughs> Someone's at my door. <laughs> hey, recording? Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> That's okay. That's my doorbell. Did you program that yourself? <laughs> uh, no, that, it's a music box. Oh, um, that's good. Hooked up to the door. Oh, that's classic. Yeah, but I I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a doom and gloom kind of thing with the vocals, but then the music, there's a lot of, like, sarcasticness to the way our music is. Like Matt always says, this guitar is really sarcastic sounding. And just the way that things happen, it seems like, you know, different parts of the song are almost mocking other parts of the song. So I don't think it's as serious as the way I just described those lyrics makes it sound. Kurt Cobain is maybe my favorite lyricist and vocalist. And his lyrics are so sarcastic. You know, so many of them are mocking each other. And his lyrics, uh, a lot of times, are just like, you could think, oh, that's kind of dumb that he says that. But I think there's a point to it being dumb. And I think you can read his lyrics separate and still get a lot of meaning out of just reading the lyrics even outside of the music i always think if the lyrics don't stand up completely absent of the music if it doesn't mean anything if it's not saying anything then really you're not saying anything i mean the whole song isn't saying anything you can be making some kind of vague musical point but if you start with nothing no matter how much you try to do with the music you're creating like a structure of semantics that the lyrics are just like hiding inside of instead of building on a solid thing that then the rest of it is like, you know, a true structure of, okay, that it all has meaning because of that. Your new music that you're coming out with right now, maybe you could kind of explain that. Explain what we're doing. <laughs> I can explain what we're doing. I don't know if I can really tell you why we decided to do it other than like Matt just had it as like, We'd written about two songs, gotten two songs deep into the new material, and it was good stuff, but it was pretty much the same. We figured we should make a bigger jump into something different. I remember we were thinking with Corporate Colossum that, uh, well, we'll just like break as many rules as we can in terms of like time signatures are going to shift all the time. That whole CD was representative of like a decaying or falling apart society kind of sound. And then we were thinking, what if we jumped it into the future where it's, you know, the new stuff is called autocrat and everything is like laid out. There are very specific rules for what we can and can't do in these songs. And then we have to try to find room to have like variation and interesting stuff within those very specific rules for each song. So what it is, <laughs> every song, has, it starts, you know, E, down on E, low E. And then we're using scales uh, that are not based on like well this sounds good as a scale you know this isn't scale of a or something like that and it's not a scale that will repeat on an octave like most scales will usually interact with the octaves it's a scale that's just based on the numbers based on the numbers of half steps away of so, half steps yep the first one you can do is like a scale of fives so, so it'll be like one and then your next note you can play is going to be 
that five up, and then you're gonna count five semitones and get to. And so these are the only notes you can play in that song. And you know, you can go all the way up, but you know, you're gonna run out of notes pretty quick. Yeah. So for people who can't see what Nate's doing here on the keyboard, if you start on if you e, start on E, that next note you're gonna be able to play is that A. And then after that And then you is... jump up to that D. Okay, you're just and going, you just keep going up. And you just keep going, you can go all the way up. But you're not gonna get an E back, you know, for a long time. You're gonna be playing a long time here until you get another E. I mean, I don't even know when it's going to come up here. It's it's a way I, you might not yeah. even hit it for a while. So when you're doing these crazy scales in the instruments, <clears throat> your vocals, you're saying, are, are going to be up to you, kind of. Yeah, so the idea is that, so basically, guitar, keyboard, bass is limited to that scale. They've got to play that scale. They can't play any notes. You know, they can play a, you know, a chord, but it has to be a chord made up of those notes. Um, the drums is limited by the time signature aspect. The five song is also in uh, the time signature fives. So Jake has got to play in fives. Or for, you know, for the song that's in uh, eights, as opposed to just playing fours, we try to keep him playing like, you know, a five count and a three count. So it has to be kind of counted as eight. Um, and then the vocals are pretty much free to do whatever they want. You know, it'd be too hard to sing... <laughs> in the notes but i think that's the that's kind of thematically the idea too is that the vocals are kind of this thing that's like trying to jump out or be like away from it you know yeah. it's, it's the individual in this system that we're making up this autocrat system i'm never that interested in like you know personal uh where the narrator is you know speaking from personal experience kind of a thing it seems uninteresting to me or just like vague i always kind of speak from like a speaker's perspective or from and then my speakers are always kind of half persecutor half persecuted like they switch back and forth between the guy who's like some kind of victim and the guy who's like victimizing someone else in terms of like you know being the autocrat and then being a you know being master and slave every other second yeah kind of thing it's cool how there's like you guys are doing pretty artistic rock like theory based theory heavy stuff not that you guys yeah. studied theory or no studied yeah. singing. <laughs> i have no musical training i've never taken a music lesson although i took saxophone for like three years but hated it <laughs> <laughs> that's cool though i mean and it's cool that the audience gets into it this niche of people anyways yeah i don't know yeah it's you know we're, we're not the kind of band that can play and you know just like grab a bunch of people out of the audience who will be like into it and come to another show but i think maybe if every show we grab like one guy that's like kind of into it usually they're like a little more into it i feel like like that one guy will like it like quite a bit i have a fan question from maya Heyman. okay uh she is wondering how when you're doing this heavy theory thing mm-hmm do people in the audience, do you think they understand what you're doing exactly? or No, I don't it... think it matters to listening to it. I don't think it's dependent on that. That's just... But it might enhance your experience if you know what... Well, I think knowing that makes it more interesting to us, at least. But if the songs were crap and we just said, oh, <laughs> we have this thing that we're doing that's a structure, that's not like an excuse for it being bad you know it yeah. has to, i think it has to stand alone and then also there's this other element to it that it's yeah fits into the structure well that sometimes it, i think is an excuse though for people sometimes they get so and i do this too sometimes i get so wrapped in up in, in the, an idea the idea and the 
technique. Like, I right. think, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. But ultimately, it's like you guys are playing in front of an audience and and anyone, you or I, if we put out a right. track, someone's going to be listening to it. So To me, I always think of this example of, uh, like, I remember I used to, like, write some short stories and stuff like that. And I remember people saying things like, um, well, the point of this story is for it to be boring. So the story is kind of boring to read. It's like uninteresting, but that's the point. The point is that I wanted to write about boredom or, say, you know, as an example, or, you know, take take whatever adjective you want. But I think that's just a bunch of bullshit. You, have, you can write an interesting story about boredom. You know, I think whatever it is, if it's art, it should be interesting, it, you know, regardless of the subject matter, you know. You know, you can look at like Pollock or somebody like that and say, okay, he's kind of doing something that maybe, maybe there's not as much there to dig into looking at the image as there is thinking about the image. You know, you can think about it in art context and then you can really, you know, analyze it and get a lot out of it. But do you actually get that looking at it? And I think you do with Pollock. I think you can still look at it and enjoy the movement and the imagery of it. I think you can take it further down the line to where you're looking at, you know, a red dot. And you can enjoy it in a meta sense. But if it's not really enjoyable on its own as a thing, it's tough because I think art only exists in the context of the history of art or music or whatever. But I think there also is an element of, like, the visceral immediate enjoyment of it yeah so it has to balance those two things you know yeah that reminds me of like one of the probably the worst piece of music i've ever done <laughs> you've was, ever done what yeah. is it well uh sometime in college i was really interested in like the mathematical side of like waves and how you can make sounds yeah. out of just sine waves yep and so i had this whole thing of like imagery of i think it was like supposed to be waves and then an iceberg comes up and right. I, was, I haven't listened to it since i wrote it but it's basically just sine waves and it's you would never ever get that idea from listening to it and it's yeah. just sine waves so it's really boring well i think there's a place for that though there's a place for the red dot on the canvas like that needs to be there like you need to set the edges of what it is and then like keep pushing that further and have people have to decide whether they think it's art. I mm-hmm. mean, for, for the most part, I feel like if someone has the intent of saying this is art, you can't say it's not art, but you have people debating whether or not it's good art to have the red dot, whether it's good art to have the sine waves, mm-hmm. whether that works. But mm-hmm. it needs to be there. You need to have the edges. <laughs> yeah. You know, the yeah, fringe that's... of like, at what point is this, even if the person's saying it's art, is it hard to really swallow that yeah so you (laughs) um red dot i feel like now i can just go do the red dot and like it could be good enough you know (laughs) in a way i almost appreciate that i appreciate the idea of having it being so meta almost more than something that's so unmeta that only exists as you know Someone just took a photograph, and there's not really any composition to it. It's just a photograph. There's nothing to it. Yeah. You know, it's just almost like a, it, to relate it to music in a way, like a, just writing a straight pop song or something that's not It's not reflecting anything. It's not commenting on pop. It just is. There it is. That's it. There's no irony to it. It's interesting thinking of like visual art. Oh, we talk about that a lot. I, when we were when we were writing songs, we're always talking about, or I am anyway, I guess for the most part, 
because I always think in terms of, I always think music is not kept pace with visual art at all. Visual art is always usually what I see is like, you know, they, they do the cutting edge music takes decades to catch up. Music is so weird compared to any other art because of how much it exists in time. I guess movies, too, are that same way. But music is almost more acutely aware of time because of the time signatures and how short it is. And I don't know. Yeah. Movies exist in time, but they they jump time so much. You know, it's so like the temporal thing is so lost. Music, you can't really jump time. I feel like that's like when you jump a tempo or something. That's almost too much. You've already like broken the fourth wall of time too much. So you change a tempo too dramatically and you've lost everybody. But like a time signature, if you can change it just right, you get that sense of like you've you've made the time more relative. You've made it more like, oh, time sort of felt like it sped up there. Even though it didn't, the tempo stayed the same. But you switched to, you know, you were in eights and you switched to sevens. So you started losing that beat and all of a sudden like, the, the temporal thing gets a little screwed up. You feel a little bit more like relative about the time going on. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I've always thought it'd be interesting to try and replicate like how film editors work that they can just cut and suddenly you're in a new place and you, you, it's a totally different scene, but yeah, like if you could do that in music somehow, well, I think all the instruments I think you can say, or... I think you can look at like Mr. Bungle or something like that and see how he will jump from, you know, one thing to the next thing and he does it so like masterfully that it works but I don't think that's something that you can hang your hat on if you don't do it really well it's not going to work <laughs> you know you can't completely jump to like a different a chord that doesn't work you know like you can in a movie you can go to a chord that's like oh that's so wrong in music it just has to be like just wrong enough if you go too wrong you lose it Mm-hmm. but I think like like twelve tone music, mm-hmm. basically sounds like random notes. But I I had a l- minor revelation when I was listening to one piece. It's like after you listen to that twelve tone, that seems completely random. Right. At some point, your brain starts picking up like internal melodies within those random notes. I, well, right. Yeah, you fill in the gaps, kind of a thing. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think you're right. Yeah, that's that's true. We were just talking about this the other day as a band. We were talking about, like, I think in with art or, like, more so philosophy, you can get bogged down in the semantics of things by saying words and things that have no meaning. You can say, you know, truth. But what are you talking about when you say truth? In reality, things happen and they either, you know, something works or it doesn't work, either happens or it doesn't happen. The idea of this metaphysical truth is just something we made up. And I think you can say the same thing with art. It's like... Either it works or it doesn't work. You can talk about it in these lofty terms and think you did something great, but if it doesn't just like work to listen to it, then it's nothing. Well, another fan question from your filmmaker, Jason Schumacher. Pichu. Yeah. He um Pichu. <laughs> he was curious why you referred to your music as dumb progressive in uh City Pages interview. What does that mean yeah, exactly? Yeah, dumb progressive. Well, I think this is something we talk about a lot. Like right now, uh, we're done with the new CD. So we're done with Autocrat. Uh, 
and we're kind of floating around what we're going to do next. And what we're kind of settling on is we're going to be working a lot with polyrhythms, doing a lot of polyrhythms with the idea that the most complexity comes out of the simplest things. It's the most interesting to me to have a bunch of easily understandable elements that collectively create something greater than the individual things. They create a complexity that doesn't exist with each one of them, as opposed to starting with things that are like really complex, you know, some kind of crazy riff that then in terms of the entire song, the song as a whole is probably not even as cool as just that riff alone. You know, Hmm. I think the song should be the height of the complexity made up of these little parts. So, you know, we're, we're going to be working with uh, polyrhythms. And so that's the dumb progressive. You can take, okay, you can take a couple things that are dumb. You can take like a, you know, just a 4-4. Four, four. And then I can add a single note doing a polyrhythm that, you know. So I've got a seven and a four there, and they're both pretty dumb things going on. But there's there's a complexity going on to that just because you're doing it in different, you know, time signatures. I like that idea. That's getting down to like bare bones. It's like oh, yeah. no, we can't do any fancy riffs because that's beyond Well, I think I think there's not a problem with fancy riff. I think if you have a riff that's really awesome, it's like, hey, do it, but don't do it more fancy than you need to do to make your point. Like my probably my favorite song on our new things is that one that's you know that just goes uh and I feel like everything else that happens in that whole song is almost secondary um the whole song exists in that like that is the song right there and everything else I think adds to it you know gives it a level of complexity but that phrase is the song in my head like that's the point we're making that you know it's like a driving the song's called Sisyphus. <laughs> and, you know, it's the idea of doing something over and over again. And, you know, even with this, I feel like you'd almost feel like you're getting somewhere with... You feel like you're walking or something. But adding that extra note gives it the sense of, like, hopelessness to me of just, like... Back to... You're back to nothing. You can't really... You can't feel the movement anymore. There's, like, a stall. And I think that's the whole song is that that part. Well, yeah. That's awesome. And I, I think a lot of your songs that use weird time signatures do that to people. It's like you're, it would be too static if you were just doing the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like there's nothing wrong with fours, but definitely for the most part, just because everything's in fours and in a way our brain kind of thinks like that, it just seems as if you're trying to take that out of the song. You're trying to say like, let's not think about the time signature. I think if you're going to do fours, you should know you're doing fours and know why you're doing it. You know, mm-hmm. the same as with any other time signature. I don't think you get a pass on fours just because it's like easy to forget it. Mm-hmm. It's the same with lyrics. You know, you can write lyrics of, you know, I was walking in the park and I was seeing all the trees and everything looked pretty to me. And it's, you're not saying anything. You're trying to write lyrics that people can ignore intentionally, which I think that's the wrong way to go with music. You don't want people to just listen to it and be able to ignore it and think they like it because they didn't have to mm. think about it. I think Bob Dylan said to, john lennon to get him going like either you're saying something or you're not that's it that's that's as simple as that so it's like either you write something that means something or you don't Hmm. but that's not to say that you can't have a meaning or an intention with simplistic lyrics like i think you could look at pink floyd on like dark side of the moon and some of the lyrics are just like 
breathe, keep breathing, you know, but it's done in a way that's like unsettling. And, you know, there, there's a, there's a meaning made up of these simplistic words that gets to a greater complexity. When do you think your new album will be out? Well, we should be done recording by the end of January and then we have to get it mixed, which will take Ryan who mixed our last CD. He's also the drummer in Joey Ryan and the Inks. He was the drummer in Manic Euphoria. He is going to mix it for us too. So that'll probably take, you know, a few weeks and we got to get it mastered. And then we'll probably, you know, give ourselves a couple months of room between having it done and when we're going to play a show just so we can get everything kind of set for it. So I would guess late April, May. Cool. Do you have any advice to people who are going to um, put out an album? Like as far as like um, promo you know, or... I just had someone I work with whose son is in a band ask me about this the other day. And, you know, they were talking about like how they're going to, like where they're going to try to sell it and stuff. And part of me feels like trying to sell people music at this point is almost like we're right on the edge where that just doesn't make sense. Like you can still kind of get away with it. You can sell CDs at a CD release. You can try to sell people CDs, but it, it just doesn't really, I don't know. There's something about it that seems like you're clinging to the past or something. It's just not a, it's not a feasible thing anymore. So I really feel like, you know, we're going to make our CD free. We're going to put it all online for download we're kind of stepping away from the idea of making 10 song albums. It's too much for people to listen to all at once. You, you know, I think, I think about, hmm. you know, anywhere from three to three to seven songs. That's about the span you have of what someone will be willing to listen to, you know, so, so to wait till you have 10 songs, it's almost like a lot of those are never going to get heard hmm. just because most yeah. people listen to it through the internet. Now they're I, not going to listen to it on a CD really in their car as much. Sometimes they do. That's true. I just got a car that has a CD player, so... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I still like... listen to CDs, too. But online, you know, you give something three or four songs. If you like it, you're going to listen to it all the way through. But maybe you'll just listen to those three. You don't really have enough time. Maybe you're just, you know, doing other stuff. Yeah. I don't really like the model of just a single song. I think that's that's interesting in a way, but it doesn't have the, like... It doesn't have that meta thing we were talking about of having a larger idea in which these things are all incorporated. Mm-hmm. But... 10 songs I feel like with 10 songs there's always a couple of dogs you know there's always a couple that like don't stand up or that yeah it's like well would the CD really have lost anything if you cut a couple of those songs out probably not hmm so maybe write 10 songs and hmm. then whittle it down <laughs> well I remember seeing a debate on the current blog about like what's the ideal album length and they were saying right around 40 45 minutes which yeah maybe I, I actually agree with like but... <laughs> I like I like listening to a full album, but I like it too. I just, I think it's not, it's not forward thinking, you know, it's not forward thinking in terms of like, what is music going to be? I don't think it's going to be that. I think that that's cool. I think, Hey, I think, you know, 40 minute albums, the white album or something like an album that's way longer than that. That's like its own thing too. That'll always be cool. And I think people will still do that. I just think. I'm more interested in thinking about like what really is music becoming in our culture? What does it mean to us now? And how do we ingest it? And I think we ingest it in shorter bursts on the internet, you know? Yeah. Well, Radiohead, I mean, they were like pioneers of modern albums. But yeah. now they're, I heard they're saying they're not going to really think that way anymore either. Well, their last CD, if you think about it, was only six songs. They were long songs. Um, 
I don't think it was a great CD, <laughs> but I like I like the idea of what they're doing there of that shorter CD. I feel like in that situation, I thought of it as there's six songs and about three of them were good. You know, if it's going to be six songs, it should be six that like you're pretty confident about. Yeah, but. It's easy to criticize Radiohead, though. Radiohead's, like, awesome and one yeah. of my favorite bands. It's How easy, dare It's easy to be they? like, oh, Radiohead. It's like, yeah, they're, like, the best. <laughs> I feel like there needs to be a Island of Misfit Toys for every band. Like, they just put out all the extra stuff. Well, yeah, that's and that's a thing I think, too. Uh, like, this girl I was talking to about her son's band said that they wrote, like, a whole CD and they're just going to scrap it and not put it out because they're writing new stuff they like more. And I was like, don't do that. Just... Have them put it, put it out for free. Let everybody download it. I'm more interested in listening to like, oh, this is what that band did. And now they're doing this and this. And it's all in a context. Mm-hmm. You're trying to, if a band's trying to like jump to being like, oh, this is what we want to sound like. So we're not going to have anyone listen to anything until we got it perfect. That's, that's way less interesting than seeing how they got there. You know, seeing the uh, mechanism of it is, I think, part of it. But. Yeah. Well, speaking of past songs, and maybe you could go into a little bit of your solo stuff. Um, Kurt's oh, the yeah. Irrational well, that, was... That mostly starts with just, uh, you know, I, I have songs that I write, you know, sometimes for With a Gun for a Face, sometimes not, or sometimes like I'll try them out. They won't really work as a band thing. Or I'll just like the piano part, and it's like, well, that piano part's not going to make sense in a rock band. So it's just, it's a way for me to like record that extra stuff. I kind of need to record something to like stop thinking about it. And once I record it and put it out, I like stop playing it. I stop singing it in my head. It's like gone for me. I don't know if you feel like that. You do so much recording. You probably feel like that a little bit. Yeah, I kind of do. I never perform my songs really. And I, I feel like I've tried to write songs thinking that, oh, I'm going to perform this on acoustic guitar, but then end up recording it and adding so many things it's Doing like doesn't just yeah. totally becomes something different just on its own and don't think about it but do you think there are do you think there's a kurt song you actually could play well uh, yeah i mean like i have the i have the one um the one that i just did pre-recently which i didn't do as a gun face because it's not really the right tone for our songs it's almost too i don't know how to describe it i'll just play it goes on like that but you know that's a song that would never work with, with a gun for face i'm singing like a falsetto yeah which maybe well, I, if i wasn't you know in this quiet room i would do it you know in a different voice but the irrational was the really the like that's like the big theme album of that thing 
And that just started, I actually wrote one really long song. And then I did end up breaking it up into song parts because it was just too hard to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> I had it all recorded as one long thing. It was just too much. Without the breaks, it was too much to swallow. And that was all themed around um, like artificial intelligence. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's this idea of like, you know, the singularity of intelligence where robots, you know, not even robots, just conscious machines, you know, what happens then? Does it become, you know, master-slave? Does it become, you know, we become digital consciousnesses? And in the end of the CD, that's actually how it turns. It turns out for the better, where human beings become these digital consciousnesses that have no real purpose or meaning. They're kind of just existing in this blank digital realm, flies on the wall, is, you know, one of the lyrics of it, of just, you know, existing in this machine that is, you know, a digital reality. So you moved out from the band house. The band house is no more. Everyone's gone now. What was that like, though, living with your band and your brother and your best friends? It was fun. It was a riot. I mean, you know, we had parties all the time. Jamming was pretty easy because it was, you know, just go down in the basement. But I feel like we almost get more done now. We'll get together at the warehouse, which is where we jam now. And it's like, well, we gotta, we just like gotta get right to where we used to, you know, be drinking beers and like joking around because we had all night. And then like, we maybe get like a verse written. Now it's pretty much we get down to business right away. And it's like, all right, here's what we're doing. We're writing these songs. We're pretty like getting pretty efficient about it. (laughs) We know what we're going for. We're kind of just like picking away at it at every jam, trying to write, you know, half a song or more. Autocrats. We're autocrats. Yeah. (laughs) That's part of it too. You know, we have so much structure now. It's like. There's not as much room for, uh, you know, I mean, there's still a lot of debate about what we're doing, but it's kind of like, we know the notes, we know the time, we know the, <laughs> we know so much about what it's going to be. It's like, we just, it's a, it's like cutting away all the stuff that we don't want and getting it in that right place. Hmm. It's not so much figuring out what we're trying to do. We pretty much know what we're trying to sound like now. It's just like, how do we do it right? Hmm. And that still, it stays interesting. Oh, I love, yeah, I, I feel like I like our new stuff a lot more than any of the other stuff we've done so far. I mean, you always like new stuff more than old stuff, but I don't know. I think I think we're I think our arrow of our band has been moving towards a specific sound that I think we're closer to now than we've ever been. And, you know, hopefully we just keep getting closer to that. I was also going to bring up Rat People, because I oh, thought that people. was a cool I love thing Rat People. Did, I rat People say. was like, you know, I think you and I were the main ones who would come up with a part, it seemed like, or, you know, we'd have like, you know, I have a little thing for a verse, I have a couple lyrics. By the end of that jam, we had to have it recorded, and whatever we got recorded was it. We'd never revisit it. Yeah. Try to get a better recording of it. So a lot of times there's like, you know, oh, a couple things go wrong part of the way through the song, but it's like, you have to just take the best you got. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that mentality. And yeah. then we'd debate afterwards. I remember there was a huge debate with someone who wanted to sing a harmony afterwards. And that's that's contrary to the the basic idea, you know. <laughs> I am the step stone in the idea of that was that it's you know it's almost a happening or something like that where it happens, it exists in that time, and then it's you know you can't change it. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. 
I like that I first think, one we did. Yeah, the first one. Happy Cancer. I yeah. don't remember how it... It's some kind of like yeah. doo-wop. I still like the idea of trying to bring that on stage somehow. You know, some bands do that though. They try to play like live jams. I think it's less interesting to people than you that who are aren't in it than you'd think. I suppose <laughs> the sausage making of the songwriting, I think, is in a way it's interesting, but in a way it's just like bring me a finished product. You know? Yeah. Like, I'd like to watch documentaries about how bands wrote songs. I wouldn't want to go watch it live. (laughs) Carefully edited documentaries. Yeah, carefully edited documentaries that give Mm. you, like, a structure. A lot of writing songs is just, like, five bad ideas for every good idea. (laughs) So it's like, all right. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. To be a good jam band, I think you have to have, like, serious jazz musicians doing, like, serious, where it's like, whoa, watching rock bands do freeform is just like who gives a shit <laughs> yeah it's something i'm working on with oh sorry <laughs> no i'm just kidding but you're a serious musician right yeah serious i mean what are you I, guys doing you guys well, probably doing rock you're probably doing like more it's, experimental it's kind of experimental stuff. so this is our cage tone stuff with me and nick simon we do some experimental like basically finding weird sounds and then having pieces free flow on the spot but not live or are you gonna do a live yeah we oh awesome we, we had one live show i'd be all about seeing that i didn't know you guys yeah. had a show yeah it's i don't know we're still figuring it out but it's fun for me anyways um sure and i'm yeah. curious what it's like for outside observers but yeah huh? well i think you know there's anything can be done if it's done well you know mm-hmm Well, I think I'm pretty much at the end of my questions I had for you. Cool. But now comes the challenge I pose to people. I should have been thinking about it. I knew it was coming. <laughs> yep. So we need a, a little intro theme. An intro for theme? For this episode. Oh, That doesn't okay. have to be uh, lyrics, but, you know. Is I've it a song, that... you mean? or Yeah, a little theme song for the intro of Composer Quest. Okay, okay. Let's see if there's anything I've been kind of goofing around on that might be interesting to use for this for being here no problem and um for people who want to hear some more of you guys if they're in the twin cities area they could see you live yeah or they can go to our facebook page you can search for with a gun for a face or uh band camp just with a gun for a face on Bandcamp. you can search for that 
Kurtz is on Bandcamp too, so you can download that too. And cool. I, and I do have a Facebook page for that too. Cool. Well, thanks, Nate. Yeah, no problem. Thank you.